On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, we interview Matt Ishbia, CEO of United Wholesale Mortgage, and discuss protecting your profits. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies, and then there's legends. Rob, 4%, baby. No way. 4% fucking percent. by the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about IDEX? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made, like, a lot more money than me on my trade. You find out, life's this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies. 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 The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. They out there making money right now off of penny stocks. Them two guys is putting their work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Time to think big. Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity It Dips, and Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. Welcome back to Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Sunday, January the 17th. And is the spice these are starting to work out? It uh it looked a little bit shaky at the beginning of the week, but uh, as Friday approached, we really saw. We really saw that drop, and, and your thesis looks like it, it may be working out. Yeah, we'll talk about, we'll go into more depth later, but I really think that, you know, we're starting to see exactly what we thought would happen. Um, you know, we, we didn't touch the 385 that I was looking for, but we definitely, you know, we closed over that 380 on, uh, what was it, Tuesday? And that's where I started in on uh, on some puts, and, and they're starting to pay. I think my best put is up 35% right now, so we'll see. All right, yeah, I was about to ask if if you had sold any or scaled out, but you said we're going to touch on that later, so so we'll get into that later. But how how have you been doing aside from your spy puts? I know you said a couple of your accounts are in escrow, and you've been kind of complaining about that on Twitter. But um, how how is all that going? How was your week and everything? My week was okay in comparison. I'm still I feel like my hands are tied to a certain extent because even though I can go on margin, I I won't. And even though like I can cover whatever margin is with the accounts in escrow, I won't do that. So my hands are kind of tied to some extent. But in in a sense, it is kind of fun to grow a smaller account again. Um, you know, I mean, it's up twenty. It was it was up twenty percent overnight, which is, you know, I can't I can't usually do that with with my normal accounts. So it reminds me of uh, of starting like a new character on a video game that you already beat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you already know like which guns are the best guns when you're going in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so it is fun. I, I will say that I do get some enjoyment uh, out of seeing the growth of a smaller account again. Um, but it, it just frustrates me that I'm, that I'm still my hands are kind of tied. With some things that have been going wild in this market that you, I guess, you've been missing out on, uh, weed stocks and, and Bitcoin's even been fluctuating. But with, with weed stocks recently, uh, I mean, we saw them just go crazy. I had some calls that I sold for a good bit that were worthless three days ago on TLRY find themselves up 44,000% or something stupid Wow! Uh, the next two days. Uh, do you... I, I think that runs about over. Uh, I think we're about to see like that hype die down a little. Uh, but but what about you? Yeah. So I mean, obviously, 
uh, Biden is going to enter the White House this week. So it's a big week um, for everything that his administration is going to push for. But I do agree that I think that we'll see a rotational change in the end. You know, I, I'm really excited. That's one of the reasons I'm really excited to have one of our guests on in the next coming weeks um, to really give his expertise on that. Um, but I do think, in my opinion, that because of how inflated the weed market is at this moment, we will see a rotational change. And then what I think is going to happen is when bills start to come back up, where actual federal change, you know, when that starts to come back up, then that's when I think we'll start to see um, weed run again. So, you know, something that I'm going to keep an eye on is a rotational change, you know, maybe the weed stocks to dip. And then on those dips, you know, just start quietly accumulating for because we know, I mean, Biden's got four years minimum. So, um, you know, we know that he's a huge proponent of cannabis. And so I think that on dips, you know, we could really see, um, you know, so, some good potential there. Yeah, I, I agree on those. I, I kind of took my profits on them, but it is definitely fun to see like some of those that have been that some people might have thought they were bag holding just go crazy. Like KERN, Kern from a few months ago is now like, even if they just held it, you know, uh, they're, they're seeing huge profits. So that's always good to see with stuff like that. And um, I'm definitely excited to see where that goes. Uh, another thing that people love to talk about, uh, I touched on a second ago, Bitcoin, it's been fluctuating in that like 35 to 40 range. I expected the pullback to come a little uh, further, uh, but it always bounces. The dips always get accumulated. Are you, what, what are your thoughts on all that? I mean, we, we did just talk to Doug, Bonaparte, and he gave us some advice on how he mined Bitcoin, and we're excited to drop that interview soon. But uh, what what are your thoughts on how Bitcoin's moving? Yeah, first off, the Doug interview was awesome. I learned a lot. But as far as Bitcoin goes, you know, it doesn't hurt to sell half. I mean, no matter what price you bought it at, if you bought it within the last six months, you're up massive. So I don't think that it would hurt. We talked about it last week that I do think that Bitcoin has a much larger run in it. But one of the things that we talked about was how heavily manipulated it is that, you know, uh, that there's like literally 90% of Bitcoin owned by some whales. So, you know, at any moment, like we've seen, they can pull the rug. So I, I wouldn't be opposed, especially if you have a good chunk of your net worth, anything really, in my opinion, over five to 10% of your net worth in Bitcoin, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world to cut half because we're kind of in the limbo session here to where, you know, at any moment we can break out or the rug can be pulled and go underneath like 20, you know, 15K. Yeah, I think the difference is, is a lot of people that invest in Bitcoin is it's one of those set and don't look at. So when you when they hear like sell half, they don't want to sell half. Like I had to tell my brother to sell his initial investment that he made at 9000. Um, and then like the next week, whenever it was at uh, 33,000, he's like, damn, should I just sell the rest of it? I was like, no, just hold it. It's a free just let it ride free. Because you never even cared about it until it started going crazy. Now just let it continue doing that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it was, uh, don't quote me if I'm wrong, but it, it, one of the bigger banks, I think it was UBS that came out. Um, UBS said earlier this week that they believe that, um, uh, don't quote me again, I'll, I'll try and find it, but um, they believe that Bitcoin can go to zero. And, and they say that, you know, with regulation, you know, they believe that it's a 
just one big Ponzi scheme. That Bitcoin's going to go to zero. Um, that when when the governments start to put regulation on it, that that's when you know we're just going to see a huge rug pull in, in the liquidity and the volume just completely fade from it because retail. They think that retail won't be able to keep up. Um, and you know there will be too much supply and not enough demand if those whales start to dump their Bitcoin, which is one of the things that you know oddly enough, one of the biggest concerns is one of the things that is driving Bitcoin right now is that there's more demand than supply. And UBS is saying that when regulation comes back into Bitcoin or, or not comes back into Bitcoin but comes into Bitcoin, that those whales are going to dump their share or you know their their coins, and um, that we will see way more supply than demand driving the price down yeah it'll definitely be fun to watch what happens there i um sadly sold my bitcoin for about even um to pay my taxes last year (laughs) (laughs) but um another thing for what happened this week was cciv it went it went crazy uh i i totally missed that train do you want to give your two cents on what all happened there because i just Totally missed it. Yeah, so CCIV, um, I noticed the huge volume, I guess around like 10. And I mean, from there on, it was, I don't have a position in it. It was extremely fun to watch because um, all we saw was just huge fluctuations, halt up, halt down. Um, I think it did, Yeah, I, I want to say maybe nine times the average volume. It was trading hundreds of millions of shares. So that was really fun to watch. Um but, you know, it'll be really interesting because I, I again, you know, it, it's funny that we just talked about Bitcoin because I see CCIV kind of in like the same zone to where, you know, um, I think they have a rumor about who their partner is. But I mean, that thing's trading pretty high for, um, for in, in my opinion, it's trading pretty high. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with it. But I mean, it's trading at $18 a share and it got to $21 a share at one point. You know, it looks like it looks like some serious action is taking place, and I can't tell personally because of the range. I can't tell if it's you know what it's going to do if it's going to break up or break down. I think that that'll be based on the next newsline that comes out on it. But uh, it was really fun to watch. Yeah, and another thing that was super fun to watch was um, GameStop. GameStop went crazy. One thing that you would you would expect not to be going too nuts in, in you know, this day and age where online delivery and everyone just mainly buys their games digitally from, I assume, in the biggest short squeeze ever, what looked like, or not ever, but, you know, of the year so far, which I think is the exact same thing people are expecting to happen with AMC, the movie theaters. Big AMC bulls here. Are you expecting the same thing? So it's funny because one of the things that I have learned um, because through this year I've been working on shorting and um, the overall thesis of shorting. And um, we saw, you know, a few of them, Nicola, mRNA, you know, something like that plug a little bit. But one of the one of the people that um, was most influential inside my overall trading career is is my cousin. Um, and he works at a hedge fund. And, you know, maybe we'll get in that different episode later. But one of the things that he told me when I was first starting out was don't always do the obvious thing. 
and and that kind of comes into the market with with where that kind of came into our spy thesis, and that also comes into GameStop. I have a friend who um, GameStop was up eighty percent, and he was buying puts. I looked at the vol on them, and they were at like now the, again these are March April puts, and the vol was trading at like two two hundred fifty three hundred percent. They should be trading at like forty percent. 50% maybe. So, or, or I mean, you know, anything over 120 and I don't touch. So it, it's really interesting because, you know, we saw, we already knew that shorts were packed in there and then they got the news. And then not only did shorts not learn their lesson the first time, they all packed in there. And so did, I guess, like retail investors. I mean, I was looking on like Wall Street bets for fun and I was seeing, you know, regular guys with like maybe two grand on their account, you know, selling calls against GME. So so I think that this is a cautionary tale if you're trying to short stuff like that, um, because obviously the market cap is inf- was inflated at that point. Don't do the obvious. Um, you know, I mean, shorts were getting packed in there and they squeezed them again to another all-time high, or I mean, you know, another high. So I think that that's a really good learning curve um, on both sides, on, on the um, on the one side, which is being, you know, just like AMC, shorts are packed in there. You know, we saw it with Fubo, shorts are packed in there. And all it takes is one headline to squeeze them, you know, a little bit of buying pressure and a lot of covering and, and it can get squeezed. So AMC, if AMC comes out with um, any kind of good news, you know, a rumor, or, you know, let's call it something, you know, that, that they have enough cash for, you know, two more years or, or even something as simple as, um, you know, the pandemic ending and movie theaters opening up in June. You know, we can really squeeze shorts. Yeah, I'll definitely be going to see several movies and buying lots of Skittles and popcorn and not <laughs> sneaking any of it in if that happens. Yeah, we got to do our part. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about doing my part when it comes to uh, helping out a stock. So I'll be I'll be there in line at the AMC theater. I actually think they're open near me. So um, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not committing to my word right now. But back to what we were saying earlier, um, with, with Spy being a little shaky towards the end of the week, you have a you have a little thesis on it, don't you? And it's starting to pay off. You touched on it last week. You you think it's time to short the market? Can you can you tell us about that, Michael Burry? Yeah, yeah. So we talked about it, and we said going into the Georgia peaches, you know, the Georgia peaches that um that going into that that we would see some choppiness in the market. We saw choppiness for two days, and then we said that we would see an all time high. We saw an all time high. Now we said, okay, let's see what the market does. But so I have a wind. I, I I think of it like a like a window. There was about a window of about eight weeks where I said somewhere in here there's going to be a catalyst and there's going to be a pullback. Um, you know, I mean, it, we can we can go into it deeper on a deeper level on a different time. But part of it was option flow. Part of it is catalyst. Um, you know, we talked about on Benzinga that I've been watching the option flow. I've been watching the algos for a little bit. Um, and, and then also what we touched on a little bit earlier was that. Don't do the obvious. You know, if you look around on FinTwit and even the analysts, I mean, there there are guys out there um, from JP Morgan that I'm looking and they're giving price targets for the S&P of like 4,000 and then they mark based on valuation technique. What what valuation technique are you using that possibly bases the market at um, you know a PE ratio of this high? It, it, it you you can't you it's impossible you can't. So when I that was one of the first things that you know I really wanted to look at was 
um, you know, that. And then the other thing is that what I always notice, and this and this is why screen time is so important, is that absolute garbage is running right now. Absolute garbage. And I totally get January poppers. I love January poppers. Um, but we have absolute garbage running right now. Something on a, something should not be up a thousand percent on a hundred and eighty day extension to stay on the New York Stock Exchange. That's that's incredible. So when when everyone's bullish and everyone's and everything's running and the good times are flowing, that's when I really start to look to the other side. And and one of the things that that I always learned and and has that has helped me is always trying to see what's in front of me before it punches me in the face. Um, and, and so that's when that's when this spy thesis I've been I've been waiting for this for about three months. Um, you know, I, I wish that I took more at that all time high, but I was really hoping that we would see 384, 385. Um, so how I'm playing this is, you know, the last part of our the last part of our thesis is that we're going to see a pullback. Um, obviously, it's starting to work. Um, we're going to see a pullback, and then we're going to pinball to like 400. That that's our thesis right now, and and right now it's working out well. Um, like I said, the puts that I have are are about up 35 percent, but I have puts sprinkled across, um, you know, some some expiring at the end of January, and then some expiring, um, you know, like mid to end February. And that's because, again, I had that eight-week window on the thesis, and I didn't want to be too early, I didn't want to be too late, and I didn't want to, um, you know, I didn't want to be too far out of the money. So what I really think is going to happen, and, and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, people really didn't get to hit too hard on Thursday or Friday for the market to take that sharp downtrend um early in the early in the morning you know it, the the rest of the market really wasn't that effective uh i'll be honest um as someone who's invested in a good bit of spacs and stuff and aside from like a couple of the things that i was in uh there, there were a lot of drops and thankfully amc actually saved me but there i ended the day up ah crap i, I don't even remember it was like not not quite my one percent, but it, at one point I was down about one point five percent. It just around that nine o'clock in the morning, and if I didn't have AMC and all those calls, I I would have been red. Um, so I think it may affected people a little more than than you're giving it credit for. Oh, okay. Maybe it's just because I have so many puts. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 like I said, my account was up like 20% overnight. So, um, you know, I mean, that was thanks to, to the puts. Um, okay. So then maybe, maybe that's me, maybe that's me just being, uh, you know, a bear, <laughs> you know, I was actually kind of shocked because, because I had some DMS when I was, you know, I wasn't, you know, maybe I was gloating a little bit when uh spy started to, uh, to really shake and bake there. But, um, I had some, I had some DMS, you know, asking like, uh, what should I do? You know, like, um, uh, you know, should I buy puts and, and guys, I really, you know, we talk about it, but it's so important to take notes, um, why we're doing this. You know, I, I really try and not hold too many hands because I believe that when the music stops, you're just going to be flat on your face. So that's why I try and lay out my thesis, but I try not to hold your hand as much as, you know, maybe like a paid alert room or something. And that's because, you know, I want you to, I, I want you to succeed, but I want you to kind of do it on your own. And so spy, I, I don't think 
I don't think we we bounce from here. Uh, something that that is really important is that we have held the twenty day moving average for quite some time. You know, I mean, I mean, when I'm I'm looking at the chart right now, and we've held it for a while. But if we break that, you know, we could be in trouble. And right now, that's sitting at about. That's sitting at about 374, let's call it. Um, I can't I can't see it too good because I have a towel over my head. But uh <laughs> but <laughs> if we break that, I mean we haven't really broken that in quarters. So if we break that, and, and this is part of the other thing that, that we were talking about the thesis, is the reason I took options against the market is because as as we see the market, kind of like when we saw around election time, when we see the market take, you know, two, three percent off the table um in a matter of days you know, the volume on them just flies, you know, it, it, it helps us a lot better when the move happens quicker. So um, even though it's only 1%, I mean, my, my calls went 35. I mean, my, oh, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. I, whenever, whenever um, it dipped, it dipped down to, I think 375, me and Tommy, we got calls uh, for yeah. like 376 and 377. We, we got out with a hundred percent and like 70% gains. Um, and yeah, it was just funny because I'm like, I know Hughes banking, but we just banked too off off the opposite thing. Yeah, that's so funny because he he sent me uh, Tommy Breathe Carolina sent me a screenshot um, of your. I think you guys were up like 110 percent at one point, and he said, um, "Cover your puts, I'm coming" or something like that. Um, <laughs> And, and no, but so I think it's really funny. And one thing, you know, I'm glad that you do mention that because if we see a significant gap down on Tuesday, you know, I'm going to start doing something called, um, I'm going to start like trying to be a, a more well-rounded trader. And that means that not only seeing the long side, but also seeing, you know, not only seeing the short side, but seeing the long side. It's kind of like uh, if we do see a massive gap down, let's call it 2%. You know, when we start to bounce, take those calls, you know, for a quick scalp and then add back those puts, you know, so really trading around the core of, of the position and, um, you know, being lean and mean. Um, that That's definitely something that I want to work on. Scalping calls and puts is like uh, scalping regular stocks on crack. Yeah, I, I think yeah, exactly. crack may yeah. be an understatement. It may be like PCP. It is insane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I mean is that is that you know keeping the puts that are dated, um, you know, keeping them for the bigger picture, kind of like what we saw, f- uh, like literally to a T Friday when we saw that sharp sell off, and then we saw the 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 uh, move back. You know, if if you took calls like Dan said, you know, you'd be up a hundred percent. You know, maybe even more depending what you were, what you were, uh, which ones you took, and then and then repositioning on the puts. So that's how I'm gonna try and play, especially earlier in the week, because I do think that we are set ourselves up here for a move to, uh, you know, Brady posted it today. I think we do break of the 20 day um, moving average, then 372. And then from there, I, I mean, it could get ugly. And um, we see, you know, my, my price target is like around 360. I know I was floating around 350. But I think that if we just see one quick uh, correction or, you know, one quick sell off to 360. Um, I think that that'll be the perfect kind of like what we saw around the, the election. I think that that'll be the perfect basing that we need to clear, uh, 400 on spy. Um, so, so that's kind of how I'm playing it. Like I said, is that I don't want to, but that means that, you know, when we do see 360, so you haven't, you haven't sold any of them, have you? Oh no, 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 no. Uh, the only ones I sold were the You're ones that the were ones. expiring the 200% that expired on Friday. Uh, you know, it actually, I actually added 
to my core position because you know I was I was really hoping that um we were going to see that 385 but um we didn't so that last bullet that I had you know I I, I added it to more cause you know I, I really you guys know um when I feel thesis you mean puts ah shoot yeah puts that's what I mean um my bad. Uh, you know, I mean, you guys know that when I feel good about a thesis and especially something like this, you know, I love being on the other side of everybody. Um, I love it. So spy, I'm going to try and be a better, well-rounded trader. And, um, you know, if we see that sell off Tuesday, which is what, what I'm kind of planning for, um, you know, to kind of trade around the core of my position. And I still think that we see a fade Wednesday and Thursday. Um, But that doesn't mean, you know, the 20 moving average has held for the most part. So if that holds, we could bounce back hard. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Um, But and then, and then when, when we do start to round it back, you know, that's when I'm going to buy calls and, and I want to do the same thing because I think we bounce hard. So, but I'm not going to start into that until we see confirmation, but so far our thesis is working out pretty well. All right. So if we're expecting that 5% drop, uh, if you're a bull like the most of us, uh, and you are right and spy is going to drop. Before we have the Matt Ishbia interview, I think we should talk about how to protect your profits, assuming you're not loaded on spy puts. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that we talk about a lot in Atlas is when you're not doing it or when you're not feeling it or you're you know, or, or you feel a little uneasy, you know, play smaller. If your starter is usually $500, bring it down to 200, 250. Um, you know, if, if, you know, have some cash on the side that that's, that's one of the biggest things that I can say that, that really helped my trading career is, um, playing smaller when I felt uneasy and not trying to force it. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like this, but we can kind of just go through like, uh, five ways to kind of protect your capital and kind of touch on each of them. But yeah, I agree that playing smaller is definitely one of the better ways. Um, Having cash on hand and keep in mind, if you're playing smaller, that means you're having some cash on the side, which means if we're like, if we're expecting a dip, it's going to give you cash to load those dips. So it's, it's a win-win. You're losing less if the market's dropping and you have more money to add when it's down. Um, I think the next one, is uh, just playing with better risk management, uh, whether that means selling for profit sooner or having a strip, strict stop loss, uh, like just, you know, adapting to the market, taking what it gives you. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, we talk about having a plan. It, it's so important to have that plan and follow that plan. If you say that you're going to cut something at, you know, X, Y, and Z, do it. Don't hesitate. Do it. Um, look at the dip as a buying opportunity. Don't look at it as, as oh, no, you know, uh, the spy's dropping. Look at it as a buying opportunity. And then, you know, the next thing that um, that we talk about here and there is um, taking the money that you owe out. You know, we've been pounding the table about um, taking the money for your taxes. And if you didn't heed that and you didn't uh, pay your estimated tax and and you still have this you know big big tax bill you know take that money that you owe out put inside a market account and let it just sit there so that at the very minimum if you if you lose everything at least you don't owe you know because losing everything sucks losing everything and owing the worst yeah it's called debt baby um yeah and and with that being said um if you work full time and this is kind of just like a side gig, but you feel like you did put a decent amount of money in it, 
maybe take out your initial investment as well. Now you're just playing with house money. I think that's not a bad idea um, too. Yeah, definitely. And, and then finally, are, are we going to talk about hedging? I, I think we got to talk about hedging. Yeah. So one thing that's really key, and we talk a lot about compounding gains and that, you know, when you're right, press the metal to the pedal and all this stuff. But something that's really important is hedging. Press the metal to the pedal? Yeah. Is that is that not the right term? You know what I'm trying to say? What is it? Other way, nah, pedal, you got to pedal to the metal because that means <laughs> I, I think your car would be broken or you're <laughs> under your car if, if you're doing metal to the pedal. Uh, well, unless you have like a metal leg. If you had like a prosthetic leg, I guess that would make sense. Metal to the pedal, baby. Okay, okay, okay. So pedal to the metal. All right, my, my apologies. Yes, sir. Okay, all right, yeah. So we talk a lot about that, but when things start to get uneasy, it's important to put on hedges. So we talked about that originally these spy puts became a hedge. And as the thesis started to work out correctly, they became a full-blown position. And now my portfolio is definitely on the side, especially with the amount of cash I'm playing with, is definitely on the side of a bear on the overall market. So what am I doing to, you know, just in case that spy decides to rip, you know, yes, of course, I can just sell my puts and sell my um, VIX calls. But how I'm really hedging myself is that I also am using SPACs as a hedge because SPACs are heavily correlated with the market. So as we see the market go down, um, you know, the the SPACs are going with it. So consequently, if the market goes up, so will the SPACs. Um, so another hedge, especially if you're a bear and, and you took our call, you know, about buying puts and buying VIX calls, another hedge is to, um, you know, if you really wanted to, another hedge would be to sell, you know, to buy puts on the VIX because the VIX is the volatility indicator. So if when the market's doing well, the VIX goes lower. When the market does um, not so well and the market's going red, the, the VIX moves up. Um, so what you could do is that you could take puts on the VIX. Um, and, and consequently, a lot of people take VIX calls to hedge their portfolio. So if you are, and this is what a lot of hedge funds do, is that if you are a mostly long account and you do no shorting and you you have 70% of your money inside the market and you have 30% in dry powder um, and you're worried about a dip coming, but you don't want to lose your potential on your, on your companies. Well, if you buy some dated VIX um, calls, then you're hedging yourself in case the market goes down. Because when the market goes down, the, those VIX calls are going to be good. So now you can roll that profit into your other positions and you're still making some kind of money. Uh, Zach touched on it that on days that he does half of his account in swings, half of his account in day trades. And and that's a good idea but because he, when his swings are down, you know, he's making money by day trading. And when, you know, maybe the overall market, when the swings are hot, he's doing less day trades. So he's always kind of bringing in some kind of capital and some kind of cash. And that's what hedging, that's the real benefit of hedging. Now you don't have to go point for point. You know, it, if let's say that you have a thousand dollars for every thousand dollars that you have on the long side, take two hundred dollars for the short side. Or so if you have a ten thousand dollar account, take you know a thousand, two thousand dollars in VIX calls. Um, so that you know, and, and then and then you can always move out of the hedge or and things of that nature. So th- I think that that's really important, especially if our thesis is working out. Yeah, and I think another way to hedge yourself is just not not even for just like for the overall market, but if if penny stocks are you know not the best that day, play some large caps. Yeah, Uh, that that we we mentioned a lot 
uh, be able to adapt to the market and and play different things. You need to have strengths of a lot of different areas to be, really be able to to bang in, in a lot of different markets. Exactly, for sure. All right, so one last thing before we get into the interview uh, is a little scenario we got sent. Uh, remember, we are not financial advisors or tax professionals, but uh, Hugh, are you ready for this? One? I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> hey guys, I started in October, made over 40000 from my initial investment wow. of 2500 mainly from options. This year has not been as great. <laughs> Long story short, I bought calls on things I should have bought puts on and bought puts on things I should have bought calls on. My 40K is now down to $7,000 since just January 1st. Although this just sucks in general, am I screwed for taxes? Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, you really dug yourself a little bit of a pickle here, huh? So... <sighs> Yeah. I did did they mention if they have another job or or is this their sole income? Are they a student or or that's all that they that's all the details that we got. Uh th- this is all about the details, but uh judging by their profile, they do have another job. Okay. Okay, so at least they're bringing in some kind of income. Uh it, it, so I'll I'll answer this inside a two part and you know jump in if you agree or disagree. I think one of the biggest issues is that when people start to lose money, you know, when we go on a really hot streak and then we start to turn and we start to go on a little bit of a cold streak and this happens to me and this is what used to blow me up. I used to do 1500% inside the first seven months of the year and then two months would would give it all back. And, and that's because of two simple concepts. And, and for newer traders, this is going to be like, I, I think I'm going to blow some minds here. Okay. When you start to lose money, to get that money back, you go in heavier. And then when you lose again, you try and go back heavier and you keep saying to yourself, okay, okay, if I hit this one, then this is all I need. Okay. And then, then now you start to not have the capital. So then what do you do? Especially if you're an options trader like him is that if you don't have the capital, what you do is that you say, okay, I'll take a riskier option with less capital. And then that option just expires worthless. It sounds like that's your issue. You just started on a slippery slope and you just, you know, you're at the bottom of the, you know, you're, you're getting towards the bottom of the hill. But the good thing is that $7,000 is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. You can still work with that. Yeah, it's, they're still up almost three th- or 300% from their initial investment. Yeah, exactly. So that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's still impressive. And you can still do great things with this. So one of the biggest things is going to be what happened. You, know, you have to understand, wh- wh- where did I go wrong? Was I taking too big of a risk? Was, was I maybe deviating from what worked before? So you really have to sit down and look at what your trades and understand where you went wrong. Um, that's that's really helpful for me. And, and it, it's not even that maybe you went wrong. Maybe you didn't adapt to the market conditions that were given to you. Um, you know, I mean, during August, we see a much slower penny market. So you have to adapt to large caps. And so it might not even be you. It might just be that you didn't adapt to the changing market. Um so then the next thing that you need to do is that you need to bump it down and you need your starters to be smaller. You right now, your confidence is probably decimated and you are just trying to make it back to that level. What you need to do is, is that you need to hit the refresh button and say, okay, this is what I'm starting with. 
my starter on a position is going to be a hundred dollars. Um, you know, my dip, my one dip add on support is going to be an additional hundred dollars, something like that. And then once you start to see consistency, that is when you start to scale up, but you're not going to start to scale up to like two, three thousand dollars. You're going to scale up to five hundred dollars. This is definitely going to be a long game. What, what do you think they should do about the whole, uh, if it's 30%, they're still looking around 12000 in taxes, paying it from the other job or maybe some of it from this account? Yeah, so uh, that's a really good question. So it really depends, um, you know, what state you live in because of state taxes and stuff like that and what your other job is. And one thing that that I want to touch on is that maybe, you know, you take some money out and you start back at, you know, let's call it $2,000. And then you take out that other 5,000 and you just put it into a savings account Um, because you still are going to owe taxes. And this is why we pounded the table earlier about paying your taxes because you don't want to owe. You don't want to owe. So that's why it's so important that, you know, especially if you're newer and you had a crazy year to pay your taxes because of this exact situation. But that's inside our hindsight. So what I would suggest doing is that I would take out the $5,000 depending on your financial situation. If you can cover your tax bill, fantastic. If not, you can go on a IRS payment plan. Um, and, and that would be that basically every month you would pay in a certain amount, something like that. Um, but as far as trading goes, you, you got to stop risk. You got to, you got to stop the bleeding and you got to stop the, the risk that you're taking on. And, and I would even take that 5,000 and put it towards your tax bill. And depending your financial situation, uh, just pay your tax bill off. And, and then, and then of course, you know, depending how you end the year, uh, you can just keep writing off these, you know, that, that this loss for a good amount of time. Um, you got anything to add? Uh, no, I, I was just going to agree with you on taking out the money, the 4,500 and keeping it at, uh, you know, just making sure you can pay off this, if not fall an extension. So I agree with you on all of those things. Uh, I think this guy should get out of the situation. You know, maybe he had beginner's luck on his first options. Yeah. Uh, you know, take it take it from options, maybe, maybe go to equities. But um yeah. with that being said, we're about we're about forty minutes into this, and uh I think it may be time to give the people what they want. Heck yeah. The CEO of United Wholesale Mortgage, NCAA champion, Matt Ishbia. Okay, so today we have on Matt Ishbia, president and CEO of United Wholesale Mortgage, which under his leadership has gone from 12 to over 8,000 people and has become the nation's number one wholesale lender, also an NCAA basketball champion at Michigan State and luxurious gift giver. How was that? Was that good? <laughs> okay, so uh, you've, you've been president for around seven years now, correct? Yeah, uh, since 2013. So, yeah, seven, eight years. Can you kind of touch on the company's main visions, values, and, and just overall mission? Yeah, you know, we're a mortgage company, you know, so, you know, we're, we, we, we deliver faster, easier, cheaper mortgages than our competitors. How do we do that? I do it with great people. I mean, you can, mortgages are boring. You guys only want to hear about mortgage. I could talk mortgage all day because it's fun for me, but it's, you know, the reality is what we do here is I got 8,000 awesome people. We're about people. We're about a culture and great a great opportunity for people to grow and do great things. And we, and we compete. We're very competitive. We'll talk a little bit about some of the things we do, but 
you know, we're a mortgage company that tries to deliver great service to mortgage brokers. So we don't have to have our big commercial. We're the number two overall mortgage company in the country, number one wholesale lender, but um, we don't have commercials and all that. So we work with independent mortgage brokers, whether they're in Alabama, Minnesota, New Jersey, we work with all of them and we are their partners to actually lend money to consumers. And so uh, it's a, I love what I do. I love what we do here. And at the same time, I got a great team of people around me. So it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, what I've been super impressed about is, is your growth. I, I was watching interviews from just like this past year, and every two months of the of the difference in the interview, the amount of people would go up by about 1,000. It was 4,000, 5,000. I'm like, which of these is right? And then I saw something that came out today that said 8,000. So I said, I'm going to stick with that one. Yeah, yeah, we've been growing a lot. You know, it's hard to grow that much, especially during a pandemic. Uh, however, you know, so 65, 66% of all the people that come work here are referred by someone else that works here because it's a great culture. The one I wish if you ever guys are out of Michigan, you guys come out and check it out. It's it's such a fun place to call. It you just can't do it because I only got you know twenty percent capacity right now. Relative, we used to have eight thousand people. Now I got two thousand people here. It's just a little different, but it's a uh, we're growing a lot. You know, we last Monday uh, just you know last week we just hired you know five hundred and thirty people started our company. So literally. Um, joining our team because we have a huge opportunity to grow. And so it's just operational capacity along with technology investments. Those are the two things that will catapult our growth. And so we're going all in and planning on growing a lot this year. Yeah. And and most of our listeners are kind of interested in how you're going public through a SPAC. Can you touch on why you're going public through that route, although you don't really need the capital infusion? And, and you just kind of touched on the culture of the company. Will that affect it at all? And I know you you're, are you giving them all $1,000 in, in the new stock once it goes yeah. public? Everyone's getting a minimum of a thousand. Most people are getting a lot more. I, I like the, the thing I just, the, the 500 people that started, you know, last week, you know, they, on Monday, are all getting a thousand dollars in shares. Um, you know, we're real big on it's a family company. So even when the company officially is public, I'm going to still control 94% of the of the shares in the company. And so some people can say that's a bad thing. Some people can say it's actually a great thing because you know me and the leadership team we're the same people that have got us to where we're at. And there's a saying, "What got you here won't get you there." But I don't believe that. I think what got us here, we're going to stay in the weeds of the business. I'm going to stay here. I get in the office at 4 a.m. I stay till 6:37. I'm grinding every day. We're going to become the number one overall lender. You know, our, our goals is not to be the number two overall lender. I don't like saying that, but at the same time, that's where we are today. Um, but the plan is to continue to grow. And the SPAC concept was basically, you know, we're competing with, you know, we're the, you know, right now, Rocket's number one, we're number two. Then right behind us is Wells Fargo, then Chase and Bank of America. I mean, these are the companies that I'm competing with. And it's just been me and, and, and a family company. And, and, you know, we're trying, we don't have any private equity backing. We're, we're, we're just trying. And so we got a chance. I met Alec Gores, um, who's a great guy. He's done a, he's done a, a bunch of awesome SPACs. He's like, the, I consider him the godfather of SPACs. He looks at a lot of deals. He knows it inside and out. And got a chance to spend time with him and realize that, gosh, what would level the playing field for UWM? Access to capital at a whole other level. Access to resources at a whole other level. And that's what we're doing now. Um, so I don't have to make a decision. Do I invest in technology or something else? And I always chose technology. Now I can invest in technology and servicing and other things to continue to catapult the business. And it's not, you know, although we're getting a lot of money and we have a lot of, we're making a lot of money. We had a, had a huge year in, in, in 2020. You know, my expectation is to, to do more volume, more mortgages in 2021 and, and make it not even close. But with that being said, I'm not cashing out, you know, so back to the 94%, you know, I'm all in, you know, when the yeah. stock goes up, I, 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 I win with you guys. We're all, when we do a, we're paying a dividend, we're going to pay a really nice dividend and maybe it's even, we'll even expand that in the future. Uh, but 
I, I get, I'm part of the dividend too. I'm an owner like you guys. And so we're all on the same team. We're going to win and win long-term is the play. Right. Yeah. So kind of touching on, um, you know, obviously your growth this year has been incredible. Um, you know, you, you guys are growing at a huge rate. Do you feel, how much of that do you feel is because of low interest rates? I mean, we're, we're seeing interest rates that are, you know, I mean, we're basically giving away money as a country right now. You can borrow money for, you know, cents on the dollar. How, how much has that effect? You know, how much does that affect your growth? And do you see this growth continuing even with an increase in interest rates? Yeah, that was a great question. So anyone who has a mortgage guy or gal these days can make money in, in, in an environment like this, right? We, but the way I think about it is we've been in a steady path of growth the way we've done it for the last six, seven years. You know, when I got here in 2003, I was a 12th person and now we have 8,000 people. But even in 2012, 13, when I became the CEO, you know, it was, we had like a thousand people. It was not the same level. We we're doing 13, 14 billion dollars of mortgage year, you know, this, you know, and our expectation in 2021 is to do well, well north of 200 billion. And so it's growing a lot now. So what I would say to that is, yes, obviously we're doing better when rates are lower than if rates were higher. However, you know, 2016 was Brexit. If you remember, rates went, rates were low and then they went up 17 and 18. You want to see a good mortgage company. Look and see who made money in 2017 and 18. Uh, from 2016 to 18, our compound annual growth rate was 28%. So we grew. Place like Rocket went down 14% because Rocket's like 95% refinance. So those guys, and so I always tell people about our mortgage businesses, we don't look as good in the good times. So we're looking good right now, but we don't look as good. We're, we're, we're less cyclical. We don't look as bad in the bad times. So we actually win when rates go up. So I'm actually excited. We're going to win right now. We're going to take advantage of it, make a lot of money, be very successful. But when rates tick up in 2023, 2024, whenever that happens, that's when we'll become the number one overall lender because the, the people that are doing all the refinances, like we're doing refinances, but that's not my only game. Yeah. But we're a purchase business. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's, it's definitely going to, that's like the next inflection point of growth. And when everyone else is going to struggle, we're going to win. Yeah, and I think a really good point um, that you know, as we're going through this interview, I I think I love you know, as an investor, I think one of my favorite things when I look at this is one, how much ownership you have, and two, you know, your competitive edge. Dan and I were talking about it. We watched some of your other interviews, and I think one thing that we love is your competitive edge. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm competitive. It's just looks like you guys are doing great things. I'm trying to hustle and make things happen, and uh, I'm very competitive. I'm 41, and so I'm older than you guys, but at the same time. I've got a long run in front of me to build this thing up. And, and like I said, you know, although being number two out of whatever 30,000 mortgage companies in America is pretty cool, it's not where we want to be. And we're going to continue to grow. And I got a great team of people around me. They make me look great and they work hard and they do great things. We're a great team together. Yeah, it's uh, one, one other thing that was kind of as you're speaking towards the future, uh, one of your first towards your earlier days of working there was 2008. What was that whole situation like, even though you weren't the CEO? I mean, I'm sure it was still crazy. Yeah, you know what was interesting? And so the, the company was originally started by my father. My father is an attorney. He's never actually worked here. He's got like he had like eight businesses. He had a small little mortgage company. I came and started working there. And, you know, kind of started building it. And I became an EVP. Honestly, you know, there's 12 people. It doesn't really matter. I was, a, I was, a, my first job was taking faxes off the fax machine. I made $18,000 a year. That's what my father paid me for the first year. And when like I said, he, and, and it kind of evolved, but the, the 08. So I, one of the things I always give my father credit. I love my father. He's a great man. He's 72 years old and he's just a great guy. I talk to him almost every morning. Uh, he drives to his, he drives to his law firm at six in the morning and calls me. I'm already at the office and we chat for a minute or two. 
Um, but what I give him credit for is back then, we didn't do subprime mortgages. I was new to the business. I said, hey, dad, why don't we do this loan or this loan? And he said, listen, Matt, one thing we're going to do, we're not running a mortgage. And we don't ever run the mortgage and we just to make money. Do right by people. Think about the long term. And just because we're going to make a commission by lending someone money, if they, oh, we're not going to lend someone $150,000 when their house is worth one twenty-five, we're just not going to do it. Right. And so the 08 time frame where everyone else struggled, it was actually one time where it was like, it was, you know, someone who likened it to, probably you don't even know this movie, like Forrest Gump. It's an old movie, older movie. But like, there's a thing called bub- Bubble Gump Shrimp. Like we're the only shrimp boat left out there. Like we were doing things the right way the right loans. And so when all that stuff crashed in 08, it, that was actually our time to shine. And that's really a, an inflection point of when we started to grow because we were doing the co- conventional and FHA loans and we were struggling in those boom years because we didn't want to focus on the wrong type of loans. Right. Yeah. I think that's something super impressive about you is how you always, I, I just saw another interview with you about how you were saying how to make COVID like this whole period turn into a productive and good time for you. And I think that that may have reflected like the whole 2008 thing. Absolutely. Okay. So going into some questions, uh, from looking at things at the UWM headquarters, like the Breslin Center conference room in your office, it's obvious that Michigan State basketball has played a large part in your life and in turn, how you lead your company. How's your time playing under the and coaching with legendary Tom Izzo prepare you for the corporate world? And what is more competitive, uh, the Big Ten or the mortgage lending industry? <laughs> yeah. So so I, w- I got a jet cra- chance to play for Tom Izzo. Um, I was a walk-on, so I made the team as a preferred walk-on. Eventually earned a scholarship. I played four years, but I wasn't any good, to be clear. I was a, the 14th player. I, I, <laughs> people, I had to be the hardest-working guy to be the worst player on that team. Um, but my first three years were three Big Ten championships, three Final Fours, and we won a national championship in 2000. And so it was a pretty cool experience uh, to be part of that. Uh, learning from Izzo as a player, and then I coached with him for my fifth year to learn. was just I, I give that... I, between him and my parents, I give that all the credit for where I'm at right now. You know, I learned, you know, my dad is a giving, humble, friendly person, take care of people, do right. And Izzo's a driving force, competitive, outwork oh, everybody. Yeah. And so I try to combine the best of both yeah. those things. And and that's what it is. So what's more competitive, the mortgage or big dot? I, I don't know. Uh, mortgage is very competitive. Big 10 is, uh, is you know, there's less teams, but man, it, it's a zero sum game. Only one team can win a championship in the big 10. I'll give you one thing. You were 41 and four in the games you played in. So I mean, that that's an impressive stat. And I actually found a uh, 1998 newspaper that uh, really hit and really compared you to, uh, to Pip from the Charles Dickens novel, Great Expectations. And they were talking about your senior year, but, but that was what they hit on the whole time was, was making it a pun on Great Expectations. The book. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was a, it was a great time back then playing. And, and like I said, I wasn't that good. I, I worked hard to be on that team and, uh, but it was a cool experience. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I learned so much. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I don't know if you follow basketball closely, but Izzo is a great coach. Oh, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a big Auburn guy. Uh, the, we, you know, I'm sure you saw our recent run to the final four. So, yeah, so. I was actually there because Michigan state was in the uh, final four too. Yeah. Man. Yeah. We, we, we both got, you know, we should have been there together. We should have been the final together, but they didn't call the double dribble. I've never seen Kyle God with the three in a row, man, it was, that was tough. Un- unbelievable. I, I was there. I'm on your side of that one. I, I was shocked. Yeah. In- insane. But um, so y'all just became the exclusive sponsor though on the helmets of the Detroit Red Wings. How did this bond partnership, uh, how did that kind of develop? And how do you think that'll help grow your business? 
you know, just, you know, local here, you know, here it's about getting great people want to join. The more our brand is out there, you know, we've never really focused on getting our brand out there because we're behind the mortgage brokers. We're the, we're the silent brand. We power the mortgage brokers, the, you know, 40,000 loan officers, 50,000 loan officers throughout America. We make them successful, whether they're in Alabama, Minnesota, South Dakota, LA. And so we don't need our name out in front. We want them to look good. But now we also, but locally, we do want our name out from because we we're, we're, we're recruiting talent. We're, like I said, we get 300 people apply to work at our company every day, which is 6,000 a month. And we pick the best three, four, five, six, seven hundred to join. And so we want our name out there. So the Red Wings, you know, um, they're, they're obviously a great brand and they're, they're well known locally. Um, and, you know, the opportunity to be one of the first people to be on a, a helmet in the in NHL was pretty cool. And we're looking at all different types of sponsorships to continue to raise our profile while focusing on the mortgage brokers, findamortgagebroker.com, helping them grow, helping them be successful. Because if they grow, we grow. Yeah. What's your what's your connection with them? I've noticed you talk about them all the time. Like you want people to use findmortgagebroker.com. It, are you just promoting them because you know you're one of the best and they're going to refer to you? Or are you just, can you kind of touch on that? Well, I'm promoting them because the biggest uh, disparity in, the, in the, the, like the littlest known fact is, is that the cheapest and best way to get a mortgage is through a mortgage broker. Whether they come to me or they go to my competitor, Rocket, they go to whoever, you will always get a lower rate and a better deal by going to a mortgage broker. It's it's black and white. It's crazy. And But the thing is, you wouldn't know that because all the people that spend all the money, like if I'm going to spend a bunch of money advertising, if I'm Rocket Mortgage, they spend a bunch of money advertising, you can come to them. Not so you go to a broker that might come to them. I'm the reverse. I wanted to go to the broker's. And it might come to me, but if it doesn't come to me, it's okay because you know what? Every consumer that goes to a mortgage broker gets a cheaper, faster, easier mortgage. It's just, it's, it's not my opinion. It's fact. You, I can show you data after data. I mean, literally, if you go to Rocket Mortgage directly and they'll offer you, hey, 3% with 5,000 of fees, you go to a broker that takes you to Rocket Mortgage. Even after the brokers paid their fee, your, your rate is 2.75 with 3,000 of fees. The wholesale channel is always cheaper. And so what we built our whole business on is, enabling, giving the technology to the mortgage broker so that we can close loans fast, giving them the service they can be successful. They already had the lowest rates. And so therefore we can, we capitalize on that. And that's our business. And that as that broker channel, so the mortgage broker market where is the only place. So remember we're the number two overall lender, but I only play in 20% of the market, which is the mortgage brokers. The rocket plays in hundred percent of the market. Well, the mortgage brokers used to be 56% of the market pre-crisis. Went down to 14 and now it's on its way up. And when it grows to 25 to 30 to 33% over the next five, six years, we're going to grow a lot. And, and that, and that's the play going forward is help them grow. And we got a chance. Yeah. And I yeah, think, definitely, I, I think one of the biggest things, uh, yeah, here, are you about to touch on the speed of how they do it? Yeah. You know, Matt, you just touched on, you know, how quickly you guys really close, you know, UWM closes most loans in about 15 days. The industry average is anywhere from 45 to about 60. You know, how are you able to do this and be effective? You touched on that you guys, that Rocket does, you know, subprime, you know, primarily, and that you don't primarily do subprime. How can you be thorough in making sure that me, a college kid, isn't taking out a loan that I can't um, that I can't pay back while yet still getting that loan done in, in a third of the time. Right. No, so good question. Uh, just to clarify, Rocket, I don't think no one does subprime anymore. So Rocket's not doing subprime. Yeah, yeah. We're all doing the same loans. We're all doing loans sell to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae. And so the FHA, yeah, yeah. VA, conventional loans. And so first off, how do we do it so much faster? It's strictly technology. 
You know, we have, we have over a thousand technology team members building technology to make the process faster and easier all day. Now, Rocket, and uh, who does a good job of marketing themselves, they market themselves as a technology company, and they are, to be giving them credit. But but you know, how do you know if someone's great technology is really working? Well, let's look at the results. The results, they're faster. The industry is 45 to 60 days, and Rocket's like 29, 30 days, which is great. We're 15 to 17 days, submission to closing loan, application to closing, which is, and you say, well, why does that matter? Well, time kills deals. The shorter amount of time means the cheaper rate you can offer the consumer. The other thing I would add to that is nobody wants a mortgage. Like the reason people don't get mortgages is because it's a pain in the butt. Nobody wants it. And so if you can make it fast, easy, and cheap, well, they'll do it. And that's what we've been focusing on. And so, you know, Rocket Mortgage has done a good job, but what we focus on is our technology. And then, of course, I'm a very big, you know, people think I'm, I like to say I'm younger, but not as young as you guys. I'm a younger CEO and I talk fast. He must be a sales guy. I'm actually an operations guy. I'm very, very big on process. And so our technology and our process is everything. And so we're, we're very focused on every aspect of the mortgage process, making it so it's so simple. So the consumer can e-sign the docs and then they don't have to go look up their bank statements and fax over stuff. It's all electronic. We can go get the stuff for you. We make it so that you don't have to really do anything besides sign the mortgage, go through the process, qualify, back to your point about qualifying. And if you look at the top mortgage lenders, there's 25, the top 25 mortgage lenders in the country, we're always number one or number two of the highest quality, which means best credit score loans. We don't do the lower credit score loans because we're focused on fast, easy, cheap for the best borrowers, the fastest loans. And that's why we've been growing with the best quality. And even when the pandemic hit and rates went down, uh, rates went down, but the delinquencies went through the roof. We were we had lower delinquencies than almost anyone in the country, lower forbearances than almost anyone in the country. And that's because of the quality of loans. <clears throat> okay, so another big thing you're doing right now and and it, and it just seems crazy. You're turning a massive soccer arena into a place to train employees. <laughs> How did that come to be and what can that provide for your company? Yeah, so it's a good question. So we have 1.5 million square feet here and, I, and, I, and I'm really big on culture. Once again, if you guys are up in Michigan, I'd love to give you a tour, but I bought a 600,000 square foot building and we, we grew so fast that I bought the 900,000 square foot building across the road and then I built the longest bridge in America connecting them. So it's 26 <laughs> feet wide, a thousand feet long. You got to walk, we got moving walkways in there like an airport. And so we connected the buildings. Well, we're growing so fast that we might run out of space again. And so what I did is there's a, a soccer arena uh, about 400,000 square feet about, uh, you know, just on the other side of our property where we actually can connect our properties. And so we bought that partially to, to, to be a backstop in case we grow so much that we have a place, but also it's in the community. And so we're in an area where, you know, in Metro Detroit, where in the, in the area there's a uh, you know, we're just north of Detroit. We're in nice suburbs. Pontiac is a tougher area, which is right where our office is, Bloomfield Hills and Pontiac. Bloomfield Hills is the nicest suburb. Pontiac's one of the tougher suburbs. And we're right on the border of those. And so what we did is I bought that. And, and actually, the company didn't buy it. I personally bought it. I bought it. I'm going to rent part of it to the company as a space needed. But I'm actually going to turn the rest into a community center to help the kids, make it a free community center for kids locally, help make an impact on them. So it's soccer right now, but I'm going to put some basketball courts, some volleyball courts in there, bust the kids from the city uh, so they have a place to go after school, really do some right things. And so it's a kind of a defensive play for the business, but really it's a community play. Let's do good by the community, make an impact. And, and that's something I'm really passionate about is my, my mother was a teacher in this community for 25 years. And how can I help the kids? And so that's why I bought the soccer arena. Not really. I know they said for a building space, but that's kind of a back, a back fall, a fallback. Excuse me. It's really for the community, for the kids. That's great.
Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and just touching on, so, I mean, you said that right now you guys have about 2,000 employees um, that can, because you're at 20% capacity, you and, and that you guys are growing, you know, you bought now the three properties. You know, it could, it would be significantly less money for you guys to work at home. And, and could you touch on, you know, kind of why you want everyone to be inside a building and not working from home, like kind of how, you know, big tech is moving towards? Yes, it's a great question. So two, two big answers to that. First, the culture, the family, the team. You can't feel the difference when you're, if everyone's remote, they're becoming independent contracts. When you're remote, so here's what it works. When you work at UWM, you'll look at our cost. If you're, you, know, you guys are good investors, you guys understand it. The cost to originate a loan is a key component to why you can win in a high rate market and a low rate market. Everyone can win in a low rate market. Everyone's making a lot of money. But you got to win in all markets. And that's why we've made money every single year and always been consistently successful and profitable and growing. And so we have the cost. Well, one of the things is if you have people all over the country or you have people working from home, they're not part of the team. They're just independent contractors, basically. They work from home. They're remote. And I know everyone says, oh, well, that's where the world's going. It's not where our world's going. At UWM, I don't believe in it. I believe that when we get everyone back, we are a better team. And so the cost is, you know, people love working here. People don't resign and leave here. We had more resignations because people were saying, gosh, I used to go to have drinks with my, my teammates on, on my team or a pod, or we have a company fair, we have a holiday party, we have all these cool things. And when you're not doing those things, it's less, less exciting, less part of the team. So the secret sauce is our culture. And if you ever come here, you'll see it and feel it. The second thing is the reality is the efficiencies. Our technology makes our people just as efficient. So we have no drop on efficiencies. However, the reality is, and you guys work from home, maybe, maybe you feel like, let's be real. You know, at four o'clock, you finish a four o'clock meeting. It's like, man, I'm going to go see, I'm going to go get some chips and salsa, sit down there. Oh, the ESPN's on. We see, oh, there's a trade right now that, you know, whatever, like you, you, you're not, you're not as focused when you're in the office, you, you, it's four o'clock, you finish your work, you walk down the hall and you see someone else and they talk about something else and you come up with an idea and you get better. And so the synergies, the culture, the excitement, we're not changing that. That's part of the secret sauce. I hope everyone else goes to remote working because they're gonna they're gonna have a hard time compete with us. Yeah, uh, you just mentioned how how people don't quit. Well, uh, another thing I want to touch on is you're giving your employees Cadillacs, Corvettes, and cruises. And just last month, twenty five million dollars in bonuses. I sure as hell wouldn't quit either, Matt. Um, <laughs> can you kind of touch on some of those gifts, or is that just all a big thing of the culture? Yeah, you know, you take care of people that take care of you, you know, and so this, you know, uh, this is not about Matt getting more money, like the company's job. And so as a public company, my job is to take great care of the shareholders. And I made every one of my team members a shareholder. So now we're all going to get taken care of together in the right way. So that's why I said, I know other SPAC has come out and said, I'm going to have a dividend, you know, before I, and I'm coming out with a dividend 40 cents. And, and once again, maybe I'll do a special dividend on top of it. Maybe we'll, we'll look at modifying and adding a variable dividend. Make it more, like If we make money, we're going to share it with our team members. And now it's our shareholders and team members together. And so I'm not going to be the kind of guy that makes a bunch of money. Let's buy back the stock. No, let's let's share it with our, with, our, with our partners, team members, and shareholders now. And so that's how we think about things. It's not all about, you only think about yourself, you're going to miss the boat. We take care of everyone around us. You take great care of people. They take great care of your clients. And then the business keeps coming and that's what we're all about. And so I love giving away cool things. We, you know, our holiday parties, you know, we didn't have one this past year. We had, we had like a, uh, well, you're talking about a, a more virtual holiday, party. but the year before that, I brought the chain smokers in. The year before that, we brought Ludacris in. Like we bring big parties. 
I brought Magic Johnson to speak to the company, Isaiah Thomas. Like we bring a lot of fun and it makes it a great place to work. And you know what happens? When it's a great place to work, people work harder because they want to care about the business. And when they work harder, we get more business and it just continues to funnel. In a I, I want nothing more than to come to one of your holiday parties. Let me tell okay. you. Yep. Dan, we might have to put in one of our resumes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we have I like good resumes. We'll, we'll, we'll join over one winner. Uh, we're short-term employees, you know, we'll put our <laughs> two weeks immediately. Uh, first week in December and then say it just isn't working out. We're dying. I, I've had some I mean, it's nothing, nothing against you. It's, it's, <laughs> just, we're, we're, it's just the kind of guys we are. Uh, Hugh, do you have any more co- uh, questions about the company before I go into my last two basketball questions? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Matt. Listen, you know, as an investor, I love, you know, we talked about your competitive nature. We, we talked about, you know, I, I really want, you know, for just a quick story, you know, there's a parking garage outside of my, outside of um, my building. Okay. And the parking garage, my roommate just started his parking lease. Okay. He don't tell them, but they didn't take down his payment info. And for a lack of, for, for, for the short story, it was simply because the employee did not care. So I love that you're going back and you you know you're you're putting in. So now, I mean it's three hundred bucks a month. You know if I was an owner and I saw that mistake, which I'm sure it's not the only one, you know I would be I wouldn't be happy. And so I love that you're putting you know that money back into the employees and and that you know they have a stake inside the equity. Um, but the question that I do have is that as investors, you know if I'm seeing on your balance sheet you know Corvettes and I'm seeing certain stuff like that, um, you know and then you go and raise capital. You know, that's going to make me question, um, you know, what's really going on? Because it, I don't know, you know, we have a lot of companies that we follow where, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, the, the stock's trading at, you know, $22 a share and they do a raise that's massive for $17 a share. And then at the next, you know, board meeting, we're seeing the CEO get a 52% bump in his salary. So it, my, I guess my question is, is that how much capital do you have? Um, to sustain at your certain level with your growth and will you need to do a raise? Yeah, so it's a great question. So a couple of things. First off, once again, take care of your people. They take care of the business. And so yeah. think about it. I, obviously, it gets headlines. Let's talk the $25 million of bonuses or Corvettes and Cadillacs and cool stuff and cruises and all the cool stuff. You know, but let's, you know, if you if you want to be, you know, you guys are financial investors, you guys get it like, we're talking what 25 million plus all the things I just talked about. We're talking about 30 million dollars. And then if you think about yeah, it, yeah. you know, in the third quarter, I can't share the fourth quarter numbers yet, but the third quarter we made 1.45 billion in profit, right? And so very profitable. We have, you know, when this we're gonna have over 1.4 billion dollars of cash on balance sheet. And so the way I look at it is you you don't make money by holding all the money, you make money by spending money and investing. So I don't consider a $25 million bonuses or Corvettes or like all these things. Those aren't spending money. Those are investments in people, investments in the future, investment. And you'll see my income isn't going up. It's not about Matt. It's about our team. Take care of my team members. They take care of the business and our clients. And then the business takes care of itself. And so that's how you got to think about you. you, As an investor, what you got to say is, hey, you know, take any business. Do you believe in the leader? Do you believe in the guy that's running it? Because you know you you could never know the details of our business at, at just at the level I would know, just because you wouldn't want to know, you wouldn't care. But you have to believe in the guy that runs it or the girl that runs it. If you believe in them, then you don't have to worry about those things. And so, like if you just want to, you know, we get to the into the into the weeds of it, like at a $25, 30000000 million dollars, and we made a whole bunch of money, yeah. right? And it's like that's what you do. Yeah. You take care of people and you spread it out to your team members. They feel great. And then it, just think of it this way: if every person, if if I get 
a hundred people out of my 8,000 that stay on the team because of that, well, watch that return on investment, right? You can start doing the calculations. I can give you a whole bunch of models on it, but the right thing, then the day, besides that there's a whole bunch of models and financial reasons, it's the right thing to do. You take care of people. When you have a great year, you take care of your shareholders, you take care of your team members. When you don't have as great a year, you don't take care of people at the same level. That's the way it's going to always be. All right. So we've, we've got, we've got three more and we have 15 minutes. So Good, let's do let's it. Hit them. Okay. So you obviously love both basketball and your company. Are there ever days where you look back and wonder how your life would be different if you had taken the assistant coach job at Cleveland state instead of joining UWM? <laughs> yeah, it would be a lot different. I do think about, you know, I, I you know, to, looking at going into coaching. So when I played my whole life and I wasn't good enough to make the NBA, the, the next thing is you say, well, now I want to coach because all I knew was basketball. And so I, I spent a year with Izzo, then got offered a, a division one assistant job. I've been the youngest, uh, I think division one assistant at the time. Um, however, I turned it down and, you know, my, my, between Izzo and my father, they said, why don't you go work at this more? And I told my father, I'll go work at the little mortgage company. He didn't know much, you know, just his little thing on the side. Uh, and if I don't like it after a year, I'm going back to basketball. Cause that's my pat. And it took me about a couple months to realize that I didn't love basketball dribbling the ball. What I loved was the competition competing. And I found a way to channel that into the mortgage world. If I would have went to a business that maybe didn't report their numbers, maybe you couldn't see what our competitors are doing. It might not have been the same thing, but I don't ever think back about what I could have done differently. I love the choice I made. I love it. Uh, and the basketball stuff. I mean, that I love basketball. I can watch games with you and spend time with you and go to games, but, but I love mortgage business and I love people. And the basketball business is great. You only get 12, 15 people on your team and mortgages. I have 8,000 people. I can make an impact on so many people and their kids and their families. I really love what I do. I, I think that's one of the cool things about, uh, us in general, like bet between you and us is, is both of what we do is, um, is, is competitive it, in the stock market. I mean, we're competing against everyone else. Someone has to lose money for us to make money. And uh, I mean, it sucks to think about it that way, but that, that's just the way it is. But, but that's business. Like, you, you know, there's always you know, in life, there's win, you win or you lose. Like it's, it's, it's a zero sum game. You know, if you play a game of football, one team wins, one team loses. If you're buying stocks and, and that's why you guys are great. What you do, you guys are, you guys are in the weeds. You guys know the stocks to look at. You guys are, you guys aren't just, I've got people ask me questions about our stock and about things. You guys are actually asking intelligent questions that apply to the business. And then you got to make your own decision. Do I want to ride with them or do I not? And that's what people make the decision. And that's the buyers or sellers, right? You're doing a good job of convincing us to keep you. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Ne next one is you've hired five of your former teammates to work with you at UWM. You guys make quite the squad. Uh, aside from just the benefits of having a history of people that you work with, are there any other benefits and could you see any mortgage lender or even finance company fielding a team or a starting five that could be yours? <laughs> yeah. So I, I got a bunch of my teammates. I have uh, it's me plus six guys. I got uh, Mateen Cleves, who was the national player of the year or the, 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 the MVP of the, of the final four that year. I got Charlie Bell. Both those guys played in the NBA for years. Uh, Antonio Smith, Adam Wolf, Chris Hill, who was a, was a, a dynamite shooter. Also played in the NBA in summer leagues, I think, and then then me and another walk on. So we didn't we didn't get it. But the rest of the guys did some pretty good crowd things. favorites. Yeah, I, I I could put a really good team of the five, and I could be the coach, and we'd be okay. Uh, but you know the, the benefits are besides that it's they're my guys and they take care of people. But that's not the way. Like I'll get them in the door, but then they got to work their butts off. But they know the expectation. They if you played for Izzo. You know what we're doing here. And Mateen Cleaves, who was the, you know, the, the national player of the year, the superstar, he knows what it takes. So he's one of my leadership coaches. He's coaching my leaders about how we, how we hold people accountable, how we drive people to get better, how we catch them doing it right, high five at people. 
it's part of the culture. And, that, and that's a big part of our thing of to be successful is helping those people um, by because people that know us and, and Izzo comes down with his team and they walk through like we have that culture and that family. And the way I look at it is if you don't want to be part of that team and that family and take care of each other, then you're, you're not a great fit for UWM. And most people want to be part of a team. And my teammates help uh, foster that throughout the company. All right. Last question. So, so you've clearly mentioned the competitiveness and how important it is to master your craft and be the best at it. We hit number one stock market podcast, but we want number one business podcast and one day overall number one podcast. In your eyes, in your short time here, what could we do better in an interview setting to propel us to that? Well, so I love it. So the way I think about it for you guys is you guys did a great job thinking about it. I'm on this show, right? I'm proud. I was excited when you guys mentioned me in Twitter and you got a great Twitter following. And at the same time, you guys have a lot of other people. And so what you got to do is you got to explain and when you're going through it, how do you spread your wings, right? If part of it is you got to have substance, which you guys already have, and we know that. But beyond that is then you got to have a little bit of sizzle to get people to watch your podcast, follow you, go through that process. And so how do you do that? One thing is bring on good guests. Hopefully I'm not deteriorating. Hopefully I'm helpful in some way. But, but at the same time, what other things can you do to drive it? So the way I thought of it was, I always thought differently. At my business, everyone told us, go this way, go build a retail channel, compete with like quick and well. And I went this way. I said, let's go dominate. Let's go be the best in this market. So create a niche and be the best. Don't try to be everything to everyone. So you want to be the number one stock market podcast, the number one, you know, financial, like, okay, don't try to be the number one grocery store. Like, like let's dominate in our industry. Right. And so too many people who, you know, I talk to when I talk to schools and kids and different people, they try to be good at everything instead of great at one thing. And I'm a, I'm a one trick pony. I'm the best at mortgage is what I want to focus. I'm the best leader in the mortgage business. And that's what I want to be. And obviously I got to get better and continue to improve, but I'm not trying to be a, I'm not trying to own 18 different businesses and do different things. I'm trying to be the best here. And for my shareholders, you guys and others, that's what they want. They want a guy that's here living, sleeping, breathing mortgage. And so I would say the same thing for you. Live, sleep, breathe what you guys do. You're on Twitter. You're following different people. You're tweeting at different people. You're in the world. You're connecting with people and you keep doing those things. And you know what happens? It will have to take time. It took me 18 years, right? You know, I, I tell a story. I'll, I don't want to digress. I tell a story. Yeah, you know, I, I get up here. I'm in the office at 4 a.m. So, you know, I'm here at 4 a.m. in the office, suit and tie. I stayed till 637. I came from, no, I didn't come from money. Like, you know, I joke about Dan Gilbert who runs Rocket and Quicken Mortgage, uh, Quicken Loans. And then J Jamie Diamond, these guys, these guys are first officer, you know, do you want to, they're smarter than me. Second off, they had more money than me, right? But the thing is, they're not willing to outwork me. I get 24 hours a day and so do they. And I've decided years ago that, hey, listen, if I work at 4 a.m. and they get there at seven, that's three hours a day, 15 hours a week, 60 hours a month, 720 hours a year. That if, are they 720 hours smarter than me? I don't think so. And actually, yes. maybe they were. It took me 17 years. So maybe to do the math, it might be either like 8,000 hours, but I've been doing it all the time. And so I'd say the same thing to you. Who's willing to put the work in? Who's willing to do the things that you guys are doing? And the fact that I'm here and I know who you guys are and I follow you guys and look at what you guys are doing. I know there's other people doing the same thing. So keep up the great work. You guys are doing awesome. I'm a friend in the business. I'm not a stock guy, but I'm a mortgage guy. And, and hopefully uh, if I could ever answer questions or help you in any way, you just reach out to me. Well, you're about to have a lot of stock. That's for sure. <laughs> that, that's true as well. You're right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think you yeah. wanted to close this out real quick for if you want to see what you guys say and then we'll close this out. Yeah, Matt, this was such a great time. You know, I really like, I, I really enjoyed this interview. You know, in fact, I think I'm going to increase my stake 
inside uh, <laughs> UWM coming up. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, tomorrow morning. Um, my last question, you know, do do I need a college degree? Because neither Dan nor I need have our, our college degrees. Do we need our college degree to apply to apply at UWM? Yeah, absolutely not. So I think maybe you saw what I said, or maybe you're asking. I don't know if you know, but I I talk about all the time. I don't care if you graduated. Uh, you know, from the best school in America, college. I don't care if you didn't graduate from high school at all. It doesn't matter to me. All I want is heart. I want work ethic and attitude and people that care. And, uh, you know, anyone can come in here. I'll hire someone and you, you know, just like me, and you've got to work your way up. But that's how I think about everyone. And so we're all about great work ethic, great attitude, people that want to be part of something special. And that's what we're building here. And I'm, I'm glad that people outside of our four walls, as you guys are able to get a little peek inside and see what we're doing. But we're looking for great people all the time. You guys are probably too good. You know, if you guys come here, probably run my take my job one day. But then that's okay because I'm 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 41, so I only got about 20 more years. But uh, you know what I think about is work ethic and attitude. And I think that ties to your guys' business too. Anything you guys are doing, anyone's doing, it's all about are you want to outwork everybody? Do you have a great attitude? Because it doesn't always go great, and that's what we look for here. College education doesn't matter to me at all. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'll definitely send you the link whenever we post it, man. Thank you. Thank you again for coming. We've had a blast. Thank you, Matt. Really. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was was fun. I enjoyed it. All right. Take care and uh, enjoy ringing the bell. That'll be a blast. I'm excited. All right. See ya. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pennies Going In Raw. We will see you again next Sunday, hopefully with another CEO interview. And we'll announce that whenever we get it recorded. Again, thank you for joining us. Make sure you leave a five stars on iTunes, download it on all the platforms. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and see you next week.